So I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles, like really highly recommend that you open a Bible to uh, Revelation, last uh, book of the Bible. If you're, if you're new to church, when we say book in the Bible, we mean really the last section. So the last section of the Bible is called Revelation or Apocalypse, and uh, we're going to be looking at that today. Now, now that I have you turning to chapter 5, I'm not actually going to read it now. I'm going to read it at the end, because as maybe you noticed already, the words of Revelation are, are cryptic. They're hard. And so I'm going to explain it first, and if all goes well, my explanation will help you hear it better when I read it at the, uh, at the end of this uh, message. So first off, and I have permission to do this, this is a horrible picture of what I'm going to be talking about today. And it's a horrible picture because it doesn't matter how long you search the internet, it's really, 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 really hard to find a picture that actually captures what's going on in the book of Revelation, and I'll explain why. So there is a lion, there is a lamb, and there is a scroll, but it's a little bit more complicated than that. So that looks right. Oh, they're over there, sorry. Clearly, I'm not supposed to look behind me. I'm supposed to look this way. So Revelation is full of sevens. I'm going to give you just a, a brief overview of how you understand the book of Revelation because it really helps you read it. Um, it's full of sevens, and each seven kind of leads into the next one. So most often when you get to the seventh of something, it has in there some hint about what the next grouping is going to be. So it's sort of like those Chinese doll things that you stick inside of each other. You open one and you see another one. Um, and... It's very structured that way. So we already saw that Revelation 1 is a picture of Jesus, and then after that comes the letters to the seven churches, each of which is introduced with one aspect of that picture of Jesus. So the seven things in chapter 1 come out in chapters 2 and 3. And then maybe you noticed this. When I was reading the stuff to the letter um, to the church in Laodicea, it ended with, to him who sits on the throne, and it talked a bit about the throne. That's the end of chapter 3. Chapter 4 is a picture of the throne room, which I'll explain a little bit. And chapter 5, which we're going to really look at, is what happens in that throne room. And then in chapter 5, you're going to notice we talk about seven seals, and those seven seals become the next chapter. And then the seventh seal leads to trumpets, and then there's seven trumpets, and so on and so forth. I don't know if that helps you, but there is a really clear structure to the book of Revelation. Now, this is why the pictures don't work is because Revelation images are really shifti a shifting dreamscape that defies depiction. So if you ever catch your dreams, if you ever remember a dream when you wake up in the morning, you're thinking, you know, I had this dream about Uncle Bob, but then it became Aunt Susan. And you're thinking, how could Uncle Bob and Aunt Susan be the same person? That's how dreams work, right? They get all kind of confusing. They're hard to draw, right? And the book of Revelation is exactly those kinds of things. We're going to see images in Revelation 5 that shift on the fly, um, such that I've asked many people, and obviously looked up on the internet, I've asked many people who are artists to draw Revelation 5 for me, because it's one of my favorite passages, and you can't. You can't capture it all at the same time, because it's like something has to be on top of something which is on top of something else, and I think that's intentional. It's one of these places in the Bible where the fact that God is beyond our full comprehension and understanding becomes incredibly clear, because though... Revelation 5, I would suggest to you, is a great way to tell somebody the basic truths of Christianity. It's that core. It's also incredibly complicated and basically impossible to draw. That said, if you take that as a challenge and you can draw Revelation 5, I would be absolutely thrilled. So if you can draw and you want to do that, um, 
yeah, I'm going to, I don't know if I really want to challenge you to do that because I'm going to be disappointed because you can't do it, but I want you to try. You know what I'm saying? It'll be a good ex exercise for you if you try. Let's just say it that way. So um, this message is actually a bit of a preview of next week. Next week, Pastor Peter um, Cranenberg and I are going to be on stage together talking about the cadet theme, which is God is in control, talking about God's authority, right? And this passage starts with, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, and the right hand is the hand of power. Sorry to all the people who are left-handed, but in the Bible, the right hand is the right hand of power, right? And he sat on a throne, and of course, a throne is where a king sits. So this is, this is an image. This is the beginning of Revelation 5. It's an image of God on the throne. It's also a review of last week because, as I already said, I think it would be an excellent way, especially if this sermon works well for you, this is an excellent spot to start if you want to explain Christianity to somebody because it both gives the basics of the gospel we're going to see, the good news of Jesus Christ, and it shows the complexity and breadth and the vision of all of what is meant to happen um, when we follow Jesus after Easter. So this is a review and a preview, and now we're going to jump into it. So then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. So the throne room is described in chapter 4. There's someone sitting on the throne. That's all it really says. And that someone we come to understand as God because the way he's described there's all kinds of different light and rainbow and thunder and lightning and all these kinds of things and so the one sitting on the throne is God and, and in God's right hand is a scroll and so we've got to ask the question what's that scroll all about right that scroll has words on both sides it's the word it's not really necessarily the Bible but it, it would be well described I think as this is God's plan for the world all right so God's holding his plan in his hand, and it's sealed with seven seals, and seven is the complete number, so it's completely sealed. And a seal in that time, by the way, was a wax stamp, so a, a king would have a signet ring, a ring with an image on it that re represented him. He'd put wax on, on a scroll to close it and then punch it with his ring, and nobody with less authority than that ring, that king, could open it. And so that's what God has here. He has that game plan for what's going to happen for the rest of history in his hand, and then there's a mighty angel, and he proclaims, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? And that's where we're going to go to next. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. Now, it's not that they think people are floating around in heaven and people are floating around under the earth. This is just a way of saying nobody anywhere. Top, bottom, middle, anywhere. Nobody anywhere could open the scroll. And then I, that's John, who wrote the book of Revelation, I wept, and I wept, because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll and look inside. As you know, if you remember dreams, when you're in your dream, you, you live into that dream. You feel everything in that dream. I'm not going to mention that when Ruth Ann wakes up in the middle of the night dreaming, she's being emotional, and I have to calm her down and, and work her through those kinds of things. I won't mention that she doesn't want me to he wept because John is in this moment sitting in the throne room of God he's in the presence of God he's feeling that God is actually on that throne in, in this vision in this dream and he's seeing that wait a minute the game plan that will unroll history in the direction that it needs to go God's way in this world nobody can do this nobody can open it nobody can start that so it's just going to sit 
in God's hands. And maybe if you're in this day and age living through lots of the hard things that Micah just prayed about, things like the war in the Ukraine and us continuing to battle COVID and differences between people and sickness in people's lives, maybe you're feeling that exact same thing as, God, when are we going to move forward in this plan? How are we ever going to get to this world being exactly what you want it to be? And so he weeps because there's brokenness in the world. It is right for us as God's people to feel pain and to weep because this world is still a very, very messy place. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed, and he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Now, the lion of the tribe of Judah comes from way back in the first book of the Bible, Genesis. And by the way, almost every image you find in the book of Revelation comes from the Old Testament. Right? I know we often read the book of Revelation like it's going to give us clues, and these are all actually images of people who are going to be in the future. It's actually the other way around. The entire book of Revelation can pretty much be found in the Old Testament. It's just recounting God's game plan um, as it unfolds. And this comes from Genesis 49, where Father Jacob of um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob fame, that Jacob, is blessing his sons, and he says to Judah, Judah, you are like a lion, right? And so there's this anticipation because King David came from the line of Judah and all the kings came from the line of Judah and Jesus came from the line of Judah that the line of Judah was going to be this amazing character, this figure who would change history. And so they are indeed, these are references to Jesus, the, tri- the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he's triumphed. He's able to open the seven scrolls. And you see my title on this is, do you see the lion? Because that's what he told you to do. He says, see the lion. He can open the scrolls, but look what happens next. Then I saw a lamb, right? It's that dream thing going on again. He says, see the lion of Judah, he's able to, and then you look for the lion and you see a lamb. And the lion is the lamb, right? There's not a lion and a lamb, the lion is the lamb. And that image all by itself in my mind captures exactly how Christianity works in this world. The ultimate power, that's what a lion is, of course, the king of the beasts, the ultimate power in God's world comes through sacrifice, comes through a lamb, comes through meekness and humility and gentleness, comes as a lamb. And this lamb, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, right? Looking as if it had been slain. And we just did communion on Good Friday and Easter, right, where it's Jesus' blood and Jesus' body, Jesus the lamb of God, who came to take away the sin of the world. But this lamb who's looking as if he had been slain is standing, right? And this is the part that I don't think anybody's even tried to draw well yet. Because once you've been killed, you don't stand, right? Dead lambs don't stand. But he's looking as if he had been slain. This is really a Thomas moment where he comes to Jesus and says, unless I touch the holes in your hands and see the holes in your side, I'm not going to believe. This is the lamb standing there going, see? I'm looking like I've been slain. It's pretty obvious I've been sacrificed already, but I'm standing on the throne. Where's he standing? He's standing exactly in the same place as the Father because Father and Son are one. So you can teach all of Christianity out of this little passage here. He's standing in the center of the throne. He's one with the Father, and he's encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. So if you have your Bible open, if you flip back to Revelation 4, I can kind of give you the lay of the land really quickly here. So there is a... 
There's a throne. That'll be the throne, the chair there. And around the throne, there are four living creatures. And one has the head of a lion, one has the head of an ox, so king of the beasts, uh, the strongest of the domestic animals. And one has the head of an eagle, the great bird, and the other has the head of a human, right, representing humans. In other words, those four living creatures standing around the throne are representative of all animals, all creatures. Right? Then around them are 24 elders. And the 24 elders is 12 plus 12. Good math, eh? And you have the 12 Old Testament tribes, because that was a major important number, and the 12 apostles of the New Testament. So it's basically all followers of God, Old and New Testament for all time, all the animals, all the creatures, they're all standing around the throne. That's the scene in heaven. So everybody and everything is affected by what's going on in that throne room. And then I put this bowl here because it says there's a sea. And the sea was actually the, um, it's not exactly the baptismal font, but there's a, there was a water bowl on your way into the temple. Because this is really a temple scene, by the way. And as you came to the temple, sort of like the Catholics do, they have holy water and you touch it. Before you went into the temple um, in the Old Testament, you would have to do a ritual washing. You'd have to touch that water and make sure you were clean before you went into the temple. So all these images, and then there's a seven-point lampstand, but we're going to get to that in a minute, so I'm not even going to bother telling it to you now. Okay, so this lamb on the throne with the Father is surrounded by all living creatures, and he's worthy to open that scroll. He's there to unfold what's going to happen with all of these creatures, the history, uh, the unfolding of history as we move forward um, in time. and the spirit so the lamb again looking as it's been slain standing on the throne where the father is sitting at the same time has seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of god sent out into all the earth and you'll see there's a little a in square brackets when i leave the um footnotes on my powerpoint presentation then that just tells me to tell you what the footnote said it says or the spirits, right? The seven spirits, seven just means complete. This is actually the Holy Spirit. This is the Spirit of God. So Jesus, this lamb, has seven horns, and horns are power, right? Having a horn on your head as an animal, that's what you protect yourself with. That's what you charge with. That's your power. And seven eyes is is the ability to, it's a funny-looking lamb, right? Seven eyes and seven horns. Right? And seven eyes are, are knowledge. It's the ability to see and perceive and understand things in all kinds of different directions and, and know what's going on. And that's exactly who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit came with power into our lives. And the Holy Spirit gives us knowledge and understanding and, and gives us, um, empowers us to do ministry. And so this lamb on the throne with these seven, the sevenfold spirit and horns and eyes has the ability to make stuff happen wherever the Holy Spirit is, wherever God is in this world. It's the Trinity sitting on the throne at the same time, right there in one chapter of the Bible. And then he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. It's an interesting image because where does the lamb have to come from to get to the throne to take the scroll? He's already standing there. So however that works, right, it's a dream. You get those goofy images going on. He takes the scroll, and when he had taken it, The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. 
right? And that's an image you got to hang on to because it keeps coming back in the book of Revelation. At the end of the, I'm going to give away the end of the story here. At the end of Revelation 5, they fall down and they worship. It's really almost saying the same thing. In the Old Testament, to, um, to pray looks like this. The word to pray means to lie down, right? And as you can see, this is not our usual pose in public, right? Because when you see God as fully as John is seeing God here, you no longer care what you look like. If you see God and you understand what's going on in this story, in some of these complex images, it should knock you down. That's what conversion is. That's what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus, right? He sees Jesus, and Jesus says, wait a minute, you got this wrong. And he goes, oh, man. And he was blinded until he got the Spirit, and he fell down because he was overwhelmed by who God is and what he can do. When he'd taken it, the four living creatures, all creation and the 24 elders, all the people who are part of God's kingdom, right, fell down before the Lamb. And then worthy means worship, or worship means recognizing worth. Each one had a harp, <coughs> excuse me, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayer of God's people. You know we have a harp in here, right? This is a tipped harp, right? And if you, the other version, this is a harpsichord, which sounds even closer to a harp because it plucks it or something like that. I'm not going to talk about music. I'm going to get in trouble. These guys over here, no music. So when we're here worshiping, the idea is that somewhere along the line, or maybe hopefully many times along the line, we've seen this image of the Lamb who's been slain on the throne with the seals, with the Spirit's power, and we're so overwhelmed by that that not only do we fall down and worship, not only do we not care what we look like, we want to sing. We want to raise our prayers. And we want to come with a new song because that new song doesn't get us into worship wars about should we sing newer songs or older songs. The new song is, I now have my song. I now have a song that expresses who I am. Now, not all of us are poets, not all of us can write a song, but the idea is I now have a testimony, I now have an expression of what it means for me to come into the presence of the holy God who's completely changed history and opened the door for things to unfold. Now, when the scroll opens and they worship, one of the things they sing and say is, and with your blood, talking about Jesus, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nations. So you got the 24 elders. They represent Old Testament, New Testament. But the idea is that what happened at Good Friday and Easter with the lamb who's looking like he's been slain is that now anybody and everybody everywhere can be brought into this. And how's that work? Verse 10. You have made them, that's you by the way, you have made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. You made us a kingdom and priests. Well, what did a priest do? A priest sacrificed lambs in the Old Testament so that people could be forgiven, and brought into the presence of God. You now have this simple task. 
Go find people, have conversations with them. One of the easiest things to do with anybody you meet anywhere is find out that they have brokenness in their lives, right? They will tell you what they're struggling with, what they're feeling, what's not going well. They'll start by saying, I'm fine, or like Pastor Peter said last week, I'm not bad. But if you spend a little bit of time with somebody, it's not hard for them to say, you know, this is, this is not going well, and this is what I struggle with, and this is what I fear in life. And our priestly role is to say, you know, probably don't use a lamb looking like it's been slain language right away. That might be a bit confusing. But our task is, I know somebody, and his name is Jesus. And he came into this world, and he began to unravel the scroll of how things should be in this world. I know somebody who we can talk with, who we can pray to. I know somebody who I worship, who can make all the difference in your life and in anybody's life, and then invite them into a place of prayer and conversation with Jesus. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign. And again, I left the footnote up there so that I would explain it to you. Sometimes it's, some versions say, and they do reign on the earth. Remember again last week, Pastor Peter talked about now and not yet. That's seminary language, this language we think is really popular with everybody, but I know you don't all use that language. It's basically this. We already now, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit, have the power to make a difference in people's lives. Right? Hang on to that as fully as you can. When somebody's struggling with something and you invite them into a time of prayer and you connect them with Jesus through prayer, you are making a difference in their life right now. And then you're going to say, and we'll talk about this more next week, yeah, but Pastor Eric, that doesn't always work. You're right. There is some stuff that we don't, we don't manage this, but there's some stuff that's not completely healed right now. There's some stuff that's not fully done right now. There's still a waiting period that we're going through. But never forget that we already reign. We already are the kingdom of priests in Jesus Christ. So we need to step out in faith and invite people into that connection, even when we don't always see that happening the way we would want it to, right? We're not in control of this. God is, again, add for next week. Then at the amen, they fall down and worship. The four living creatures said, amen. And the elders all of God's followers, fell down and worshipped. So, I'm not doing the slide today that says, and what are we supposed to do with this? You can decide for yourself if falling down and worshipping is what you need to do today or at some other place. You may decide if that's something you should probably try, like I did, lying down in front of people, or if it should be the thing where you go, no, I am going to lay down my life before God. I'm going to commit my life before God. I'm going to take some of the things that I'm doing just for me right now and find a way to say, I'm going to do that for other people. I'm going to be on mission in Christ's name. So how I want to end now is, now I want to read Revelation 5. And you can follow the words along if you want to, or you can just listen to the images and sense and feel what God is saying to us today. Hear the word of God. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept. Because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll 
or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is a lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped.